0: Welcome to Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borovic. In the previous episode, I spoke with Dr. Mark Berman, Chief Medical Officer at Better Therapeutics. We covered a lot of ground, from their evidence generation to nutritional cognitive behavioral therapy. By the time this episode airs, Frank Carby, a biopharma veteran, has now taken the helm as the CEO of Better TX. My guest today is Kuldeep Singh Rajput, CEO of Bioformis. Bioformis, in their own words, utilizes machine learning, integrated technology, and an FDA-cleared analytics engine to streamline connections between patients and care teams, leading to better outcomes for all. But before we dive in, I met Kuldeep just too many years ago to even count in beautiful Singapore. Kuldeep has an engineering mind with a keen sense of business scaling. Bioformis is not your typical standalone digital therapeutics company. And on the heels of 300 million round has evolved to a full data-driven healthcare services organization with a strong foundation of digital therapies driving those care decisions. I hope you enjoy my conversation with (laughs) Kuldeep. Kuldeep, what a pleasure to hear you and actually see you as well as we're doing this interview on the DTX podcast. We haven't spoken in a long, long time. So welcome to the DTX podcast. And for our listeners, please tell us who you are, a little bit of the background and how you got to kind of this digital therapeutic or digital health industry. And let's not forget a small interesting fact about you.
1: First of all, Eugene, it's great to see you and speak with you. It's been long and uh, thanks for the opportunity. A little bit about my background. I was born and raised in India, did my electrical engineering, and then worked at the MIT Media Lab, specifically where I was building software and analytics, specifically for cardiac arrhythmia detection, sleep apnea detection, which was eventually utilized in a clinical practice. And that's the first time when I got to realize the power of data and science in driving clinical care. Eventually moved to Singapore, started my PhD in neuroscience. I used to build brain implants for neuromodulation, for Parkinson's disease, epileptic seizure. But it was almost a year and a half in my PhD, I decided to quit and officially start Bioformis. The genesis or what I really saw in the industry was all these bulky devices, what we were using in most of our clinical trials at that time, were bulky and now getting smaller, cheaper, getting commoditized, huge amount of data, but patients don't know what to do with it. Physicians and clinicians were just overwhelmed with a lot of data and payers didn't know what to pay for. Our fundamental goal at Bioformis initially was, can we leverage all these data captured from the sensors and patients to really be able to predict complications in patients and drive clinical care? That's what we do at Bioformis. Our entire mission is to focus on outcomes. How do we improve patient outcomes, minimize the cost and burden of care by not just really monitoring the patient, but really moving towards truly managing the patient and providing the right intervention using software. That's what we do. And since you asked a fun fact about me, which I don't think many people know, I've always been fascinated about horses since I was young. And I bought my first horse a couple of years ago. So it's been fun so far.
0: I wouldn't have put you as a horse guy, but interesting for sure. And I'm glad that not many people know and people get to find out on this podcast. I also love the founding story in a sense that you were aching and itching to get actually products into patients' hands, for lack of a term, and physicians to get the data versus just doing research, which is such an important part, but also commercializing is, is super important. Obviously, especially with devices, that's a costly proposition going to market. Maybe you can describe a little bit. The company, if I'm not mistaken, was formed in 2015. So early days of devices and digital therapeutics. And maybe you can describe a little bit of your funding journey since lots of investors, but also entrepreneurs are listening to this podcast. And what are some key milestones that you've achieved? And take us through a little bit of that funding journey, please. When we started the
1: company, our first financing was a seed round. We raised a million dollars. That was very early stage in the company. And at that time, our primary use of funds was to validate the platform. So we had said that our first indication for use is going to be for patients with heart failure. And we wanted to run a clinical trial and really validate, can we predict heart failure exacerbation ahead of time? And that was the primary use of proceeds, and then eventually get it out. So we raised our first seed round of a million dollars from a South African-based healthcare investor. And then slowly, we started to validate the platform, we ran the clinical trial. We got the results of the clinical trial where we showed almost two weeks of predictive capability in a clinical study, which we did at the Mayo Clinic and a couple of hospitals, and eventually then decided when we started running the clinical trial, there were two learnings. One, clinicians really were using the data or the predictive capability and intervening by using or optimizing therapies. So we saw 94% of the times the intervention was dose optimization. So we basically said, why can't we automate this whole process and make it easier for the clinician or even for the patients directly eventually that we are optimizing dosage and therapy? And at the same time, there was a publication which came out from a registry trial which showed in the United States, less than 1% of heart failure patients are on optimal dosage. And 60% of the reason why patients get readmitted into a hospital was because of this clinical admit. So we then eventually decided that we'll build the entire platform rather than just building an algorithm. So we raised our $7 million series from some Asian investors in Singapore, and uh, like OpenSpace and Aviva, which is an insurer and a payer. The specific milestone then at Series A was to build the entire end-to-end platform, and basically that's when the idea of digital therapeutics came into the picture. Because we said, what if, from an intervention point of view, our focus is going to be optimization of dosage and therapy, and by doing that, can we show actual treatment claims? So that was the major milestone. We had multiple clearances by the FDA to around our approach to personalized physiology and detect clinical changes from patients' baseline. So we did that and we raised our series B, which was led by Sequoia and uh, Mass Mutual. And that's when we built our pipeline of different disease areas in cardiology, pain, respiratory. And we really started to work with a variety of large biotechs on rather than saying, we are just going to build our own digital therapy, we are also going to start working on combination therapies. So we started to combine drug plus digital platform to be able to augment the value of the drug. Eventually we raised, the Series B was $35 million. And then we raised Series C, which was 100 million led by the SoftBank Vision Fund. And at that point it was, okay, now we have very validated business model with pharma around companion therapy, patient support programs, market access, safety monitoring. How do we scale that from five customers to 10, 15 customers and get more drugs on the platform? However, Eugene, as you know, because of the pandemic, two things happened. First is we were part of this research initiative at Brigham, where they were using a platform, some of the analytics and technology in a study where you are able to bring emergency room into patient's home. And in that study, we were able to show that we can reduce readmission by almost 70% and overall cost of care by 40%. And eventually, because of the pandemic, no patients were coming to the emergency room just because of fear of getting infected. Then we looked at our market and basically said we have a highly differentiated technology platform. However, The care at home market is still very nascent. There is no clear leader in this space. And we really want to be one of the leaders in this space. So to be able to do that, technology was not just enough. And then we immediately pivoted and basically said, we'll continue to work with pharma and our digital therapeutics, what we have been doing, but we'll build additional capabilities, including logistics, supply chain, our own clinical care team for care delivery, our revenue cycle management, et cetera. And once we put all that together, we said, we'll first focus on hospital systems as our customers and started to get traction. So within a year in 2021, we were live in over 20 large health systems in the country where we were managing patients throughout the continuum, acute, post-acute, long-term care, regulations changed. We were getting paid and reimbursed for it. And that's when we said, okay, now we have all the capabilities to really be able to manage patients end to end." And the vision was, can we become a provider ourselves and manage, provide specialty care? So we started to get ourselves licensed. Now we are licensed in almost eight states, by end of the year, 20 states. And we will be able to manage the patients full end-to-end and even start taking risk on the patient and work with the right payers in this space. And to be able to scale that, we raised our Series D, as you might have seen last month, which was led by General Atlantic, participated by CBS Aetna. And the reason to choose those investors was they have incredible experience in care and value-based care market. And that would really enable us to propel our care at home business. So technically, that's the journey. Started as a pure data science and analytics company. And here we are today with two business verticals. One is our therapeutics business, where we build digital therapies and combination therapies. And then we have our care at home business, which really focuses on technology-enabled care delivery.
0: It's super fascinating to hear the journey and that journey that got also expedited by the pandemic, but also from the fact of you and the team kind of seeing the opportunity. And why I love having you on this podcast, I was asking this in season one, on one side, I was asking a question, is a DTX company going to eat a pill or a pharma company going to DTX? But also on the other side of it, I was always asking the question to the guests, is a DTX going to become almost like disease management 2.0 and a full continuum of care, which is exactly where you guys are evolving? While the journey is interesting, there was always some of these decision points to go from a pure DTX therapy or digital therapy therapy. I'll call it R&D to commercialization. But then some of the decisions points you had to make on, well, do we expand vertically and horizontally from an indication perspective and services? What were some of those decision points? Is it your combination with your investors? Maybe take us through a little bit of that thinking because some companies just stay a digital therapeutic focused on a very specific thing and they do well.
1: That's a great question, Eugene. And we see that both of these businesses are interlinked. There are a couple of things. First is our digital therapeutics pipeline is focused on cardiology right now. And of course we have oncology and pain, which is still in early stages, but primarily based on cardiology. And if you look at cardiology alone, what we were able to do for heart failure by optimizing therapy and eventually being able to demonstrate treatment outcomes, For all the rest of the cardiology diseases, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, post-MI, CAD, there's still this evidence gap in medication therapy. And if we are able to do it for one, we are going to replicate the same for different disease area. And here you have all cardiology-related diseases covered. And what we are doing in that virtual specialty care and our care delivery business we are really able to create a distribution channel for our digital therapies eventually. Today, we'll do it as physician-driven program. However, once approved as a true DTX, we have access to patients. We will be able to use our digital therapies and improve significant operational benefits and drive down cost and run the programs at scale. The second one is both of these are built on a single platform within Bioformis. So you don't have multiple siloed products, rather one platform which really powers both businesses. And third is when we look at our diseases and conditions, initially for our digital therapeutics, we said two disease areas. One is cardiology and second is oncology. And even in our care delivery, that's what we are focused on
0: with that i actually want to go back to even potentially your first seed round right quitting school you had a business hypothesis we know what it is now but what was it then and obviously the listeners can compare to what you are now i'm just very curious on that entrepreneurial journey no that's a great
1: question i think when i started the company we basically said we will be analytics and a software company and at that time our goal was build algorithms for a variety of disease areas. So create this library of analytics or software as a medical devices able to detect sleep apnea, arrhythmias, able to detect heart failure, exacerbation, et cetera, and create this library, get regulatory clearances and potentially, and the business model at that point, we were anticipating is we'll license out these algorithms to device companies, to companies who already have a platform. And here we are today where we have the entire ecosystem while continuing to focus on what we originally started with these library of biomarkers and library of algorithms.
0: This season is all about evidence and commercialization, but history is always important. And you kind of started off describing yourself as building devices. Somewhere in between there, and I actually don't remember the year, our friend Andreas and BioVotion, there was a decision to buy BioVotion versus potentially build yourself. And I'm sure the skills are there. Again, from a purely business perspective, why? So when we started
1: originally, we always wanted to be device or sensor agnostic, Eugene. And even today, we are sensor agnostic because the way we look at it, one device is not best for all the applications. So if you're managing an acute patient, a patch based sensor might be much better as compared to an armband or a wrist worn But if you're managing a patient six, 12 months, a patch won't work. So a wrist based device. So we have now integrated multiple multivariate signals or devices on a platform. Having said that, there was sometime in 2019, we had been working with BioVotion for a couple of years. We, use the device in number of clinical trials, number of commercial opportunities. And what we realized was, as we were comparing many devices, Avarion device had great compliance amongst elderly population. The data quality was superior and there was a lot of IP. And there came a point where we decided instead of building our own, could we partner or buy a sensor company? That would create a portfolio of sensor technology within Bioformis while we still being agnostic to sensors and picking the right sensor for the right application. And today, even though we bought BioVotion and have a variant, it's only 50% of the times we use that device. 50% of all our customers and programs use different sensor, which we recommend. So it was really that decision of build versus buy, but primarily driven by, as you said, evidence, which is compliance and patient experience, data quality, and IP.
0: I'm eager to ask the complexity of the evidence generation, but we'll get there. Let's actually go through, because I think part of the digital therapeutic companies that are some evolving to virtual care platforms and companies is also an enhanced, and notice I will say user experience, not just patient, right? Or health consumer experience. And I know you have a number of products, and so you can pick a pathway, but for our listeners, because we do get not just our DTX geeks listening to this, but also the masses and the patients, if you can just describe what does that look like from a hospital all the way to the daily life of a patient and health consumer?
1: So let me walk you through a patient journey. Let's say a patient with COPD or heart failure, let's say has a surgery goes into the hospital, gets admitted, and is about to get discharged and gets discharged and is being referred to Bioformis platform or program. So the first thing what happens is one of our health navigators would reach out to the patient, explain them the program, what they are getting into, so that they are prepared. And within 24 hours, they get a kit shipped to their home, completely prepared, and they open the box, they have the sensor, they have a tablet or a smartphone, fully loaded, paired with the platform. So they open it up, wear the device, and they start engaging with the program. And then continuously collecting the data, the data goes to the cloud, it's processed. If there are any alerts, interventions, it goes to our own clinical care team with NPs, RNs, physicians who are managing the patients around the clock. And in some customers, our hospital system partners themselves manage the patients and we train those clinicians or the nurse team. We have a 24-7 technical support and health navigators who engage with the patient in case of non-compliance, they have any questions, so that we make the entire experience highly seamless. And again, data speaks to itself. In 2016, when we ran our first clinical trial, our compliance to the program was less than 60%. We have worked for the past few years, and today, our last year, our average compliance was 93%. So patients wearing our devices, sensors, as well as engaging with the program. And also we have a great customer support team. So our CSAT score increased all the way from 88% to 98% in quarter four last year. So engaging the patients with the right tools and technology with the right level of clinical support is extremely critical. But I would also add depending on the acuity of patient. Because if you're giving out these complex devices and programs to a less acute patient, like a chronically ill patient, he's not going to comply. So having an ability within the platform to switch between high-touch and low-touch program and doing it dynamically really enables us to be more engaging to our patients.
0: And actually, just out of curiosity, going from 60 to 90 plus, my hypothesis as you're talking, as you expanded more horizontally with more touch points and some level of human beings, which we'll get to some of that later, was that one of the key components of getting the engagement or others? So it was a few things.
1: First, user experience on the platform. And again, when we started as technology team, we always thought a fancy app would appeal to people. But we didn't realize at that point, elderly population want only simple things they can interact and that's it. So really thinking through and going through that journey and iteration of what the user experience and user design needs to be on that patient-facing tool. Picking the right device and sensor was extremely important. And third is that team of health navigators and clinicians who basically are constantly in touch And the most important thing for us as we scale is how do we scale our nurse to patient ratio constantly is going to be
0: the key. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Kuldeep Singh Rajput, CEO of Bioformis. Let's dive into the one question that I've been itching on. Again, lots of complexity. And I know there's the diagnostic or the device side. There's the care side. Let's put that to the side for a second. And let's focus in on the digital therapy and your evidence generation. And again, to the extent I know there are certain things that are FDA approved, certain things are not. So please give us a little bit of the journey that you guys have taken before and how that has changed, if at all, with virtual care on top or to the side. So let me
1: start with digital
0: therapy Our first digital
1: therapy is for managing patients with half-ref, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. I mentioned the core clinical and met need, which is less than 1% on optimal dose, less than 20% of patients in the US on guideline-directed therapy. From an evidence point of view, it was extremely important, first of all, to understand and validate how are we taking these signals from the devices personalizing it to an individual, and being able to predict or detect heart failure complications. So one evidence and one clinical study just to validate the algorithm and the analytics. Then you put the program together and now you're able to detect it, can you optimize dosage and therapy and up titrate, down titrate, switch medication. And in the randomized control trial which we ran, we were able to show within three months We were able to optimize dosage and therapy by almost 80 percent and patients reached their target dose we were also able to show within three months the patients who advanced to the target dose was higher as compared to the standard of care we had to go through a lot of iterations because physician behavior you need to make sure that they are okay with the recommendations because we wanted to make sure before we automate that whole process clinicians were actually accepting the recommendations to ensure safety of the patient then we automated the whole process and we said okay now we have the mechanisms validated can we actually then show treatment effects and then we took the endpoints like a drug trial in this case we took quality of life and functional capacity measured by KCCQ and second is reduction in NT-proBNP which is a blood biomarker we were able to show positive outcomes in our proof-concept study on both of these with statistically significant results. And that's when we received breakthrough designation for BioVitals HF, and we are in the process of almost completing our pivotal trial and then getting the full approval. So that's the journey, still early days for the rest of our pipeline, but that's the first one. And as you know, it typically takes three to four years to get anything from start to finish. And the other question you ask, Eugene, is taking a step back on as a company, how do we look at evidence? In our minds, there are three kinds of evidence we focus on. The first one is clinical evidence. The second one is operational benefits. And third is economic benefits. In any program we run, especially on our care business, we focus on that. I'll give you a real world example. One of our large health system partners, they had a nurse to patient ratio of one nurse to 28 patients. Within a year, we were able to increase that from one nurse to 28 to one nurse to 181 patients. So significant operational benefits, so their costs are lower. Then in one of our hospital partners, we tested, can we reduce readmission overall in 90 days? And we are able to show 42% reduction in hospitalization. And on clinical, we constantly look at quality of life, function, certain clinical matrix, depending on the disease areas. So there's a clinical evidence generation team in the company, which focuses on all three different areas. And any clinical trial we do, we make sure we put these as touch points, as well as any real world deployments we do, we have a mechanism to constantly capture all these data.
0: So many more things to dive into, but we're not doing this two, three hour Tim Ferriss style. So let's jump to the commercial side of things watching you guys as a journey from device digital therapies, working with pharma, launching a remote patient monitoring, improving operational, working now with providers and hospital systems. We've heard the journey to a certain extent, but it also seems a lot. And no matter what funding you get, it's just from a focus perspective. So maybe you can talk about the channels and some reasoning and thinking on that path.
1: One thing that keeps me up at night is, are we doing too much? Conclusion I come back to is, when you look at a business and an opportunity, if the technology and the platform and the services are universal and standardized across all the businesses, we don't have to recreate things and only put commercial teams together and operational teams together to deliver it to our customers. And that's where we are. So specifically focusing on our commercial. So there are three customer groups for Bioformis: payer, provider, and pharma. On a Bioformis therapeutics, pharma companies are our customers. We build companion therapies, we run patient support programs, as well as safety monitoring, and then are part of digital clinical trials. So that's very clear, and we have been commercializing it for the past four years. What has changed over the past, I would say 12 to 14 months or the addition is our bioformist care business. And we started with hospital systems or health systems as our customers, because we wanted to prove out evidence. We wanted to get logos and penetrate the health system to ramp up our patient volume. However, gradually we are moving towards the payers and ourselves becoming the virtual specialty care so that we can create a referral network to manage patients. So from a scale and the growth point of view, in my mind, the matrix I measure is patients on the platform, how many patients are we servicing? Are they coming from pharma? Are they coming from payers? Are they coming from health systems? And the continuum, what we are focused on. These are just the two matrix. The customers for me is the channel to get these patients.
0: Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast. Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No-Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hey, Kuldeep. Can you give us some numbers in terms of adoption or utilization by patients and HCPs of your solution? And what increments have you seen as you added on more funding or as you made the acquisition, et cetera? How has this added incremental value in terms of uptake?
1: Great question. Specifically on the adoption and utilization, as I said, our programs range anywhere between three months all the way until the year. First one, from an adoption and utilization point of view, we look at compliance, 93% compliance rate. We look at customer satisfaction, 99% at this point in time. And as we think about the new financing, one of the things we really focus on is driving physician adoption and driving patient adoption initially when we started we were more of a technology company we are still a technology company but we have added capabilities for care delivery and adding capabilities for care delivery enables us to provide virtual support clinical support logistics supply chain and many health systems are facing shortage in their staff and shortage in nurse staff and most of them are very happy for bioformists to co-manage their patients while keeping the patients within their network. So we are really only escalating patients who really require care to the health systems and to the providers so that they are spending time appropriately. And that really drives our provider adoption and experience while we continue to focus on how can we do better for our patients and use technology, but also have that human element from a clinically trained professional to work closely with the patients.
0: And I'm going to hop in here as usual, but where are you seeing across the channels you described earlier, and thanks for the deep dive on the adoption and utilization here, where are you seeing the biggest traction? Noted, you mentioned it's only 14, 18 months, I think you just said. Where are you seeing the biggest traction? So the biggest traction has honestly been both
1: the businesses, 50-50. On the therapeutics or the pharma partnerships, trials are being run virtually, decentralization of trials. And one of the advantages what we have is our library of biomarkers or endpoints, which can act as surrogate endpoints to expedite drug trials. But to run these trials, having an ability to go into patients' home, having an ability to virtually monitor safety and continuously monitor data really has started to scale. On the other side, there is a huge buzz around virtual care. However, we are very focused on the certain conditions and continuum. So we are focused on acute, we are focused on post-acute, and third is long-term chronic care. And that covers the entire journey of the patient from all the way sick and back to chronic and back to sick. And specifically, I see huge traction there because last year we had 20 large health system partners. This year will be live in over 50 large health systems. And many hospital systems are leveraging on the waiver program for hospital at home and acute care, while working with payers on creating these bundled payment models or value-based care arrangements to manage patients beyond acute phase towards the long-term care.
0: We've talked about, as you guys are expanding into this virtual care end-to-end, a selfish question. Where do you see, from a clinical staff perspective, and you're optimizing the operational efficiency, but where do you see health coaches, which is typically non-clinical in that picture?
1: So when I talk about our clinical care team, it has health navigators. These are not just coaches, but health navigators. And then we have our NPs, RNs, and then we have MDs and physicians. There are different tiers of support each one provide in the journey of the patient. So I see health navigators playing a huge part because they are the ones who are constantly in touch with the patient, build relationship with them and are providing day-to-day support. And only when you need these expensive resources like nurses and physicians, the health navigator is trained and has the ability to escalate this to the right appropriate
0: resources. Thank you. And as we come in towards the end here, you've had some tremendous experience growing this business. And what advice would you give to digital therapeutic entrepreneur, or just even broadly, right, as you've been expanding to a digital health entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, Eugene, a couple of things for entrepreneurs, which I have followed. The first thing is focus on the core clinical unmet need and focus on solving that clinical unmet need and proving it in randomized control trials and making sure you generate evidence around it. And from evidence, as I previously mentioned, economic evidence, clinical evidence, and operational evidence, because you need all three to run a business and commercialize this at scale. And second, I would say, is really understand what is the go-to-market strategy, because as you know, digital therapeutics is still new, virtual care is still new, and we all know home is going to become the site of care, but what's the go-to-market strategy and how are we going to commercialize this? Do we build our own distribution channel? What distribution channel to access patients? Having a clarity from the beginning will enable you to build the right evidence and the right capabilities to be able to achieve the go-to-market strategy. What you intend to.
0: Kuldip, we started with you, some interesting facts in your history, and would love to actually end with you and to find out what gets you Kuldip up every morning.
1: Every day morning, I think the most important thing is what impact are we creating on patients? So far, when we had our therapeutics business, it was more core development, still in R&D, clinical trials, and even with pharma, it's still early stages in clinical trials, even though we get paid for it. Having said that, over the past couple of years, Eugene, we have been able to see our technology adopted at scale. And waking up in the morning, looking at the dashboard on the ramp-up in patient volume day by day is what gets me up at night and the impact we have really on patients.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you for telling us your story and growing this business for the sake of the health consumers and patients out there. And thank you for making the time, Koti. Cool
1: Thanks, Eugene, for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission-Based Media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player, so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach help or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borovic, and catch you next time.